many people in our world, they will acknowledge the existence of God, but they live like He doesn't exist. They just want to live the way they want to live. They think they are safe. They think God is too good to condemn them. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in chapter 18 of our study of the Revelation, and we have seen that a city will emerge during the tribulation, which will be the seat of a new religious world order comprised of all the religions of the world. The city, which will be called Babylon after the Old Testament city by the same name, will also be the seat of a new economic and governmental world power. As we rejoin Dr. Brogy, he notes that this Babylon, like the Babylon before it, will be a source of great evil, wickedness, and immoralities. However Babylon may express itself at different times in human history, God judges the sin. God judged the literal Babylon in Nimrod's day. They constructed that idol, that tower of Babylon, and then God brought it down crashing. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. The second Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar constructed, God once again warned that he would destroy that. He said by Jeremiah, flee from the midst of Babylon, and each of you save his life. Do not be destroyed in her punishment, for this is the Lord's time of vengeance. He is going to render recompense to her. And he did that, exactly. He destroyed Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. He first used Nebuchadnezzar to destroy Israel, to judge Israel. Then God destroyed Babylon. And with this last expression of Babylon, God says, verse 5, her sins have piled up. Her sins have piled up as high as heaven's. And God has remembered her iniquities. This is what happened in Noah's day. God said he would not always strive with men. He patiently waited for 120 years, and then he wiped humanity off the face of the earth. Likewise, with Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, for we're about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Likewise, James in the New Testament, your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cried out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And then James says, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Now, while this warning was true in James' day, it has full application for those especially in the last day. It's applicable for especially those who will see the coming of the Lord. And so God sees it all, and He says here, her sins have piled up. You're using the New American Standard, I hope, and hopefully you have one with marginal references. You see the word piled up. It brings you out into the margin. You might want to circle. Literally, it means join together. It's a, Hebrew, it's, a, it's a Greek word that literally means glued together or welded together. This angel is saying that the sins of Babylon have been glued together. They've collected themselves and they've piled up like a new tower of Babylon to heaven. The ancient tower of Babylon did not literally reach into the heavens, 
But the sins of Babylon will reach the ears of God. And the scripture says here, God has remembered her iniquities. So as we hear the voice of separation, first, we are told to be separate from Babylon's deeds. Secondly, we are to be separate from Babylon's destruction, from her destruction. Now, please don't miss the flow of thought. Verse 5 ends with the promise that God is writing down the deeds of man. And when we come to chapter 20, we will see God's books where he's recorded every sin, thought, word, and deed that the unbeliever has committed. God has remembered her iniquities. Now, if you've been saved, you have a different promise written by the prophet Jeremiah, quoted in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. In their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. It's not that God has a divine case of amnesia, but God doesn't hold your sin against you if you've met the living Christ. That's the promise of the new covenant. But here in verse 6, for the unchanging and the unrepentant people living on the earth, and he's focusing specially on Babylon because it's the headquarters for the whole world for the Antichrist. Again, religious Babylon was destroyed by the ten kings, but this is not religious Babylon. This is commercial Babylon, and God himself is going to destroy it. Look at verse 6 of chapter 18. Pay her back, even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds, and the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. Now, this is the law of restitution at work. This is an illustration of the law of sowing and reaping, what people sometimes say, what goes around comes around. It reminds me of the prophet Obadiah. Uh, seven years ago, I preached the prophet Obadiah. Why did I preach that? I thought, I've never heard a sermon in my life on the radio anywhere on the prophet Obadiah. And I had my son Grant when he was eight years old saying, Dad, tell me about Obadiah. And he said, Ob, 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 Obadiah. And he couldn't even say the word. I said, son, someday I'm going to preach a sermon on the prophet Obadiah, if God will let me. Well, Obadiah 15, if you're new to the Bible, when you have a chapter with one verse, you don't say 1 colon 15, you just say 15, like Philemon 3 or Jude 9 or Obadiah verse 15, there's one chapter. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. That's the day we're studying. We're studying the first part of the day of the Lord called the Great Tribulation. As you have done, it will be done to you. That is, the penalty will correspond to the infractions. Your dealings will return on your head. Obadiah is looking down the corridors of time to this time called the day of the Lord and is reminding that people will reap that which they have sown. And now the revelation here in verse 6 is reminding us of the cup of God's wrath, and it's filled to the brim. The final drop has been put in. It is beginning to overflow. Pay back to her. This is an angel, God's servant, speaking verbally for all of heaven to hear to the living God. Pay her back even as she is paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. And the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. Now, obviously, when you come to verse 6, this angel is no longer speaking to John. He's speaking directly to God. Give back to her. Pay her back. And, of course, as you read the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, you will see God's people asking him to bring wrath on unbelievers. 
We saw this already in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10. How long, O Lord? These are tribulation saints who have been beheaded. They're alive in heaven, and they're crying out at the throne. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, you may read something like that and say, well, that doesn't seem very Christian for these martyred saints to ask judgment on their murderers. After all, Jesus prayed for those who persecuted him. Stephen prayed for those who were stoning him to death. Well, I have no doubt that these probably prayed while they were on earth. But they're no longer on earth. They're in heaven. And so, yes, on the one hand, you love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you, but they're no longer on earth. They're in heaven and they recognize that these are people confirmed in their unbelief, and it's not a matter of if God is going to judge them. It's been revealed that He is going to judge them. They're just asking when. When will their testimony be vindicated as true to the glory of God? You read the Old Testament Psalms, and there are what's called imprecatory Psalms or imprecatory prayers, especially in the Psalms. It's imprecatory. Imprecate means to call down judgment or wrath. Now, I like C.S. Lewis. He was a good guy, but he was a baby Christian. And while he was incredibly bright, sharp mind, he said some incredibly stupid and less than biblical things. Describing the imprecatory Psalms, he said they were terrible, contemptible, devilish, profoundly wrong, sinful prayers. No, he was wrong. Those men wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, but he had trouble accepting those psalms as part of the canon of Scripture. We are called to be angry, but to sin not. There is a moral outrage. There is a righteous anger that the people of God are to express. And now God's angel joins the call. These people are obviously not going to repent, but they are going to be judged, and the angel invites God to pay them back double. Give back to her double according to her deeds. Literally, the Greek says, double to her double, because her wickedness in leading millions astray and slaughtering millions of converted believers have come up into heaven. And when he says double, it's another way of saying full. And it's a principle that runs all the way through Scripture about double recompense. For instance, in Exodus 22, if a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him and it is stolen from the man's house, if the thief is caught, he shall pay double. All through Scripture, God speaks of double restitution. Well, now God is going to express it in judgment. And the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. God is going to deal in doubles. Jesus said this, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Now, we often apply this verse to money only, and it's a legitimate application, but contextually, He's talking about condemnation and judgment and forgiveness. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. 
So this is how God gives good gifts, and this is how God will administer his divine wrath. So God is telling his people, first, to be separate from Babylon's deeds. Second, he's saying, be separate from Babylon's destruction. Third, and finally, be separate from Babylon's deception. Be separate from her deception. Economic Babylon is going to bring glory to herself. And she thinks that she is so powerful and the strongest superpower in the history of man that she is untouchable. But we read the harsh lesson that will come in verse 7. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, and will never see mourning. Now, this passage unfolds the threefold sin of Babylon. Number one, she glorified herself. She was filled with pride. She thought she was the superpower of superpowers, and God hates pride. We studied on Wednesday night, Romans 1.20, where the culture, the U.S. especially, but now the world, refuses to glorify God and give Him thanks. They worship themselves, the creation, rather than the Creator. And God says such pride invites judgment, but God has no pleasure in bringing judgment. The prophet Jeremiah says, but if you will not listen to it, a refusal to listen to Jeremiah's counsel. God said, if you will not listen to it, my soul will sob in secret for such pride. My eyes will bitterly weep and flow down with tears because the flock of the Lord has been taken captive. Jeremiah tells us that pride causes God to weep. He would rather withhold judgment than to give judgment. So first, they're filled with pride. The second sin is she lives sensuously. It is a word in Greek that is used of uninhibited sexual promiscuity coupled with excessive luxury. They will live sensuously both in their possessions and in their sex life. They think everything will be fine because with a one-world economy controlled through the 666, this will be the richest new class of people the world has ever seen. The world is falling apart, but they're living rich and fat, and they think all is fine. It's a literal playground for the rich and famous. Third, beyond the spirit of pride and sensuous lifestyle, they are driven by self-deception, thinking that she is untouchable in her self-deception that drives her lifestyle. God says to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously to the same degree her torment and mourning. The angel, once again, for a third time, is expressing the same truth. To the degree that she glorified herself, she will be paid back with torment. Now follow, for, meaning because... Here's the reason why, because she, Babylon, says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, and will never see mourning. She saw herself as a queen, never to be dethroned. She saw herself not as a widow, that her way of living would never, ever end. Now, you will notice the change in typeset, right, in your text? That tells you this is an Old Testament quotation, and God is using an illustration of another Babylon in an earlier time when Nebuchadnezzar was ruling as king. And God used as an instrument to judge his people the, the king of Nebuchadnezzar. And the people of Israel thought they were fine, they were secure. 
And so God wrote this by his prophet, yet you said, I will be a queen forever. These things you did not consider, nor remember the outcome of them. Now then, hear this, you sensual one who dwells securely, who says in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I will not sit as a widow, nor no loss of children, but these two things will come on you suddenly in one day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come on you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of the great power of your spells. You felt secure in your wickedness and said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. For you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me, but evil will come on you, which you will not know how to charm away, and disaster will fall on you, for which you cannot atone, and destruction about which you do not know will come on you suddenly. Listen, just as Nimrod's Babylon in one day was judged, and just as Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon in one day was judged, as he quotes here the prophet Isaiah, Even so, this coming Babylon in one day, people who thought they were secure, never be dethroned, never become a widow, and one day they will fall. For this reason, verse 8, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. Just like ancient Babylon thought she would never be defeated, even so, commercial Babylon who think they are secure will suddenly in one day be totally destroyed. Now remember, people in the future after the church is gone, they're going to be pouring over the revelation. They're going to be studying the next event on God's calendar. They'll be reading all about this. But this is not just for them, for all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. This was originally given to seven churches some 2,000 years ago, and it's given to the people of Community Bible Church. So how are we going to apply this? Let me make three applications as we close. Number one, I am reminded that God will judge the world and none will be able to stop Him. God is going to judge the world and none will be able to stop Him. Now, some people think that God is too good to bring someone under His eternal judgment, and therefore God is not going to intervene. And so they live as if they will never meet their Maker, just as the people of Babylon thought that they would never meet God in judgment. Many people in our world, they will acknowledge the existence of God, but they live like He doesn't exist. They just want to live the way they want to live. They think they are safe. They think God is too good to condemn them. God is too good not to punish sin. God has a word for His people. He said through Paul, when they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. The Bible warns us not to make God in our own image, not to make God the way you want Him to be, but to believe the way He is revealed in Holy Scripture. And the book of Revelation, among other things, dismantles the false doctrine that God is so loving and so kind that He will never judge anyone who has not received His Son. And certainly, Revelation also dismantles the false notion that the God of the New Testament is somehow different from the God of the Old Testament. People who say that, 
have obviously never read the New Testament. For God is pictured in the New Testament not only as a God of love and grace as he is in the old, but also as a God of wrath and a God of judgment. People love to quote in the New Testament, God is love. But they don't like to quote, God is a consuming fire, which speaks of his righteous wrath in the book of Hebrews. People love to quote, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But they fail to quote the second half of the verse, the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Secondly, I'm reminded from this passage that you cannot hide from God. You cannot hide from God. These people in Babylon thought that they would live without consequence, that they were as secure as a queen, that they would never be dethroned, that they would never die and become widows. But you cannot hide from God. King David affirmed the impossibility of hiding from the presence of God in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? And then he proposes various directions. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in the place of the grave, you're there. And then he proposes hiding in the darkness, but he realizes that the God, even the darkness, is like light to you. It's not dark at all. David finds great comfort in that, that he cannot hide from God. But the lost people try to hide from God Almighty. We've already studied in Revelation chapter 6, the people of this world will say, fall on us rocks, cover us. From the Lamb who sits upon the throne, if somehow they can hide from God Almighty. But no one will be able to hide from God. And if death comes early after death, the Bible says, comes the judgment. This passage affirms no one ever has been able or will ever be able to hide from God. Third and finally, you will never be able to stand for Christ unless you stand with Christ. You'll never be able to stand for Christ unless you stand with Christ. Are you ready to be rescued from all of this should Christ come and catch up the church today? If you know the Lamb, the wrath of God has already been released on your substitute. But if you've not met Jesus, then the wrath of God abides on you. And people who've heard the gospel prior to the rapture of the church will not believe. The Bible is clear. The only people who are converted after the rapture of the church are those who've never heard the gospel before in clarity and in power. Now, you may be thinking this morning, well, I don't like this kind of preaching. I've visited here long enough. I think I'll go back and watch Joel next week. Well, listen, you can soften the truth. You can suppress the truth. You can lessen the truth like a false prophet Joel Osteen does, but it does not change the truth one little bit. Asaph warns the listeners of God in the 76th Psalm, you even you are to be feared, O God, and who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? The prophet Nahum echoed the same question when he asked, who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? Without Christ, no one can. Unless your life is, to quote Paul, has been hidden in Christ, then you are still by nature a child of wrath. Now, God is calling his people. This is the voice of separation. He is calling us to come out and to be different. 
You're going to be awed in this day if you are different. Yeah, if you don't know the Game of Thrones, you're going to be awed. You're not going to know what they're talking about. Yeah, you don't let your kids go to Captain America because they repeatedly use the Lord's name in vain, swear words, curse words, and they have an elicitation to homosexuality. Well, you know, he's got to learn sometime. No, God would have you to be wise to the things that are good and innocent to the things that are evil. And so we let our kids delve into that kind of stuff because we are just so used to it ourselves. And that's why you've got pastors quoting the Game of Thrones. Where are these guys coming from? Where are these Christians coming from? And they wonder why they never lead people to Christ. They wonder why they have no impact for the kingdom of God, because their hearts are so weak and sick, and their light has gone out. And when the salt has lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing anymore, except to be trampled underfoot. Listen, if you are here today without Jesus, through His all-seeing eyes, the one who sits on the throne knows everything about you, but he loves you, and he died for every sin you've ever committed. And unless you come to him without the shedding of blood, and it's not animal blood, it's the blood of Christ, there is no forgiveness of sin. God has no way of being able to forgive you but through Jesus. But you must change your mind about sin. You must see it as wrong. You must repent and believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Now, our Father, we thank you today for this book that you've given us and the circumstances in which you allowed me to preach it, for you work all things together for good to those who love you, to those who are the called according to your purpose. I pray today for someone who has never met Jesus Christ. You said today is the day to be saved. Tomorrow may be too late for them. Tomorrow they may fall sick and die. Today Christ could come back. And you warn that no one comes to the Father but by the Spirit. You warn that your Spirit would not always strive with them, and He is striving with some today, and He may stop tomorrow because they've said no for the last time. So help someone today within the sound of my voice, whether they're listening here or on the Internet or by radio in some part of the country. Help them in simple childlike faith to say, Lord Jesus, save me. And Father, help us as your people not to be caught up in the spirit of the age, an age of lukewarmness and compromise and wickedness, but help us to come out and be separate. Help our light to shine bright and our salt to have real savor that men might see our good works and bring glory to you, our Father who is in heaven. We ask it in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. To listen again to today's study from Revelation 18, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV51. Things are still uncertain because of the COVID pandemic, but we are praying and trusting God for a resolution soon. As such, we've begun to make plans for another Search the Scriptures trip to Israel in late September and early October. 
Join Dr. Brogy as he leads an 11-day tour of the Holy Land. If you're interested, sign up to be notified as details unfold. Just visit searchthescriptures.org slash Israel. Tomorrow, we begin a look at the rest of Revelation 18 and a message entitled, The Cry When Babylon Falls. Join us then as we search the scriptures.